Hey listeners, I'm Bishop Todd Hunter. Thank you for joining us today on the C4SO podcast. We're continuing in our Advent series, and I have with us as our guest, Patrick Wildman, the long-term rector of Christ Church in Overland Park, Kansas. And in this conversation, Patrick tells us how he uses the readings and the practices of Advent to help orient his church towards mission. We'll get some great insights about how the incarnation of Jesus can be modeled in incarnational missional practices of Advent. All right, here's the episode. Patrick Wildman, I cannot believe we are on a podcast together. So like we've known each other like 15 or 16 years or something. It took that long to get on a podcast together. Hey, good things are worth waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. You know, uh, not very many people would know this story. So um, Patrick and I actually got to know each other through Alpha when I was the national director of Alpha USA. And Christchurch was known amongst us in the back rooms of Alpha as one of the very best uh, Alpha churches in America. So that's how we got to know each other. And I remember having a legendary dinner with you when you busted out your gift of prophecy and told me I was going to be an Anglican bishop. What was that all about? Yes, 2007 or 8, I don't remember exactly. I think 7, but you, you you were in town for an Alpha conference we were hosting and we went to Jack Stack, the barbecue place. Jack Stack, that's right. Yeah. Because I remember you yeah. came out of there smelling like barbecue. It was just me, you, you and Stephanie, right? Right. And you you said you were thinking about becoming an Anglican. And I was like, yeah. we had been through a very tumultuous time, as you remember, yeah. uh, as a church. And so I thought, why do you want to do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, when I realized you were serious, I said, well, you know, they're going to make you a bishop. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're going to be a bishop if you're an Anglican and you're going to be our bishop. So yeah, that's right. Patrick, here, the prophet right there, yeah. right there at Jack Stack. Yeah. So Patrick, our, this is our, you know, first series uh, since I've uh, become the host of the podcast. And uh, the name of this series is A Storied Season and on Advent. And today I'd like to talk to you about Advent uh, and mission, how those things work together. Yeah. So, so when you think of Advent, you know, um, it always reminds us that the church is living in a story and that Jesus uh, came to earth in the middle of a story and within a certain, gr- certain group of people, you know, God's people, Israel, the Jews, or, you know, whatever we might say. Yeah. And these people, of course, God's people, you know, thinking back to Genesis 12, they already had a mission. So what is it in your imagination as you teach and preach of how Jesus advances or fulfills that story and that mission that was already going on. As you mentioned, my mind immediately goes to Genesis 12 and the calling of Abraham and the forming of the covenant, uh, you know, that through Abraham, all yeah. the peoples of the, of the earth would be blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so out of that, that experience, that formation of, of the covenant, you know, God essentially gives them his grace and love and mm-hmm. um, rescues them from the bonds of slavery in Egypt as the story moves forward, gives them the law, you know, so that they would know how to live appropriately yeah. in response to the grace that they had received. Yes. And, um, you know, through all of that, uh, the law is given prescribing their worship and, and holy living. And I think all of that was to shape them into a people mm. that when I 
think about Isaiah 51, a people that would be a light to the nations. Yeah. You know, they would mm -hmm. practice justice. They would right. welcome the stranger and foreigner, like in uh, Leviticus mm -hmm. 19, yeah. Deuteronomy 10. They would care for the poor and marginalized. So they, they were they were called to be a, a different people, a people who were set apart for God yeah. and would show the world a, a different way. And so Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene and uh, uh, really, I think, fulfills what was always lacking in mm -hmm. Israel in terms of their ability to live into the calling that they had received. Yeah. You know, the, the outward facing dimension of the Old Testament was never really realized mm. in Israel. Yeah. It's there, but they just never really lived into it in the way that I think God intended. So uh, Jesus, as a true Israelite, he he faithfully lives in a way that that the nation of Israel did mm. not. Yeah, you know, he did maintain that faithful covenant relationship with his father, and as a faithful son, he gives us a new covenant. Yeah, you know, I, it takes me to uh, the the Last Supper. Mm. You know that on the night before he's going to be crucified, he he reinterprets the Passover meal, tells yeah. his disciples. That he's 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 initiating a new covenant in his blood. He's raising up a new people yeah. who are going to essentially do what Israel didn't. That they're going to take this good news to the entire world. I, I think about Matthew twenty six, verse twenty eight. You know, it's in our communion liturgy. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Yeah, for the forgiveness of sins. The covenant isn't just for you, it's for many. And then, obviously, as we go forward, Jesus makes it abundantly, explicitly clear, Matthew 28, you know, go. Yeah. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them yeah. to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus really, I think, takes these things threads that you read in the old testament this kind of like i said this outward facing dimension yeah. and just not only fulfills it but makes it just much more abundantly clear that this is right. what this is what god wants from his people so jesus really is our model uh, he's the one that mm -hmm. we look to for um how we are to take our this mission to the world yeah yeah hearing you uh, reminds me of a favorite petersonism and a favorite willardism i mean uh, uh tom wrightism so the petersonism is in the um his introduction to the book of matthews he says that fulfilled is a characteristic verb in matthew and that if you think about it how many times in Matthew? I don't remember. It's 10 or 15 times where Matthew says, thus and thus happened, that it might be fulfilled. So as you say, um, Jesus is fulfilling uh, that calling on Israel. And my the rightism that comes to mind when I hear you is, I don't remember which book it was in. It's one of the first ones I read from Tom many years ago, that, that Jesus is humanity, thinking Adam and Eve, 
Israel, as you said, taking us back to Genesis 12, and the church as God intended. So Jesus is humanity, Israel, and the church uh, as God intended. And to your point, then, he, he becomes like a model for us. For many Christians, uh, you know, in, in Johnson County, Kansas, where, where I'm at, you know, they, they come to faith and they really don't have much knowledge or connection to the story into which Jesus came on the scene. Mm. You know, it's almost as yeah. if everything just started. With, yeah. At with, our conversion. Know, right. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and so I think it's really meaningful and, and powerful to help people make those connections uh, yeah. and to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of a story Yeah, that, that began long before. Can you think of a story where, you know, you were teaching this kind of stuff on a Sunday or you'd written about it in, a, you know, in the church newsletter or something where the light bulbs went on for somebody and they just thought, said to you, wow, like, I really get this. I'd never really thought about it. Those are such meaningful moments, right? For us yeah. preachers when, when it actually connects and somebody gets it. Right. Well, I can, I mean, a couple of times over my years of ministry here, we've done explicitly done a series that was focused on the Jewish roots mm. to the Christian faith where we, okay. you know, we explicitly tried to make those connections for people, yeah. help them to see. Good. And yeah, I, I would say those were honestly some of the, some of the sermons we've got more feedback than any others because it, wow. people just, um, we're very appreciative of how helpful that was yeah. to them. Have someone help make those connections for them. Yeah, I would just like the, you know, the there's a lot of preachers who uh, listen to this podcast. I, I want them to hear the confidence in what you're saying, that these can sound like gigantic, historical, narratival, theological concepts, yeah. but that it's possible to put them in a sermon series that actually disciples people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't need to be overly complicated. Hi, I'm David Taylor, C4SO scholar in residence for arts, media, and culture. And I'm Phaedra Taylor, a visual artist who happens to be married to David. And we are excited to share The Light Has Come, a collection of illustrated prayer cards that we have created for Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. This collection of 25 cards includes themes that we are familiar with, like joy and peace, or Mary and Joseph but also less familiar ones like sorrow and refugees, the mundane and the fantastical. And our hope with these prayer cards is that individuals like yourself, families, small groups will experience the nativity narratives in a fresh way in hopes of discovering a story that truly heals our broken world. If you'd like to learn more or purchase the cards, visit store.rabbitroom.com. And we hope you have a wonderful Advent season with those that you love. So speaking of uh, not being overly complicated, if you think about it, the sending of the sun or incarnation, yeah. it's just, it's so fundamental to basic Christian thinking. Um, again, when you're working with your congregation, how do you help them see that the sending of the sun by God was meant to inform and like give shape to the mission of the church? In other words, Jesus came and died for our sins, obviously, as the scripture says, but there's something else going on too, where, as you said, he's the head of this body right. that's meant to be fulfilling his purposes on the earth. How do you explain that to your church? Well, th that question, you know, when I think 
in terms of Advent, especially, mm-hmm. it immediately takes my mind to the word, as you mentioned, incarnation. Mm. You know, that's what we're that's what we're preparing for in Advent, the incarnation yeah. of the Son of God. The Son of God obviously is eternal, uh, but he became incarnate from the Virgin right. Mary and was made man, you know, and that's what we're preparing for in Advent. Uh, you know, I think of the, the great verse in John 1, 14, the word became flesh, mm. made dwelling among us. It is, yeah. He tabernacled right. among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son, you know. So God comes to us, came to us in Jesus Christ. And for me, that is really central to my understanding of mission, ministry, mm. just ministry in general. Say more. It, it, well, it really takes me back to my early ministry days mm. and just simple things that I learned, like working with students. You have to earn the right to be heard. Yeah. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. You know, we can say, well, those kind of things are they're goofy and simplistic, yeah. but they're true. Yeah. And I, I think back to that ministry foundation that I received many years ago at Colonial Presbyterian Church here in Kansas City mm-hmm. from people like Bob Leilightner and Steve Moldrup and Craig McElvain and Kyle Gillespie and Brad Bisher. And I mentioned their names because we're talking about incarnation. They yes, weren't just yeah. my youth leaders. Mm. Each one was an incarnate presence in my life. And my life at that point was, I mean, it still is, but it was really messy. I, I was, I was lost. I, I was one big rough edge, <laughs> mm. uh, but they were involved in my life. They loved me. That's they, beautiful. they showed me how to follow Jesus. And mm. I think we would really do well in our Anglican tribe to, embrace just that basic ministry principle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of First um, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, instead, we were like young children among you, just yeah. as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were yeah. delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So yeah, I think incarnational ministry, being with people. It's hard. It's messy. Yeah. It's draining. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like being poured out. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the only way that we're going to reach our culture. That's so beautiful, Patrick. It makes me think that there aren't just Advent thoughts or Advent liturgical moments or even Advent worship songs, but there are Advent practices of incarnation. And that uh, I hear you saying that something that should be fundamental to all of our churches is this uh, Advent imagination of um, incarnating ourselves in people's lives. Yeah. How, how do, how do we, how can we be with people? Well, I know you've heard me say this a thousand times and some of our listeners will have as well, but you know, that passage in first Corinthians nine and the message where Mm -hmm. Peterson has Paul saying, I entered their world incarnation. Yeah. I tried to experience things from their point of view, incarnation. 
but I didn't lose my bearings in Christ and I didn't take on their way of life. And uh, that's, I agree with you. That's just, not only yeah. is that like missional magic, but it's, it's fundamental to understanding Advent. Right. And I think sometimes, you know, those of us who do this for a living and we read a lot of theology and, uh, you know, we love and are, are, are um, energized by having these really, what we think are lofty conversations. And yeah, um, I think those things are wonderful, but I, I also think we need to learn just the basics of yeah. being involved in people's lives and learning to understand, well, what are the questions they're asking? Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I think we're answering questions they're not asking. Well, we're kind of, we can sometimes be guilty of speaking to each other from the pulpit instead of speaking to our people. Yeah. Well, you're a lot younger than me, but I'm pretty sure you're old enough to remember the Gospel in Our Culture Network. And, you know, so that's people like um, Gerald Guter and uh, George Hunsberger and uh, um, mm -hmm. Roxburgh and those guys. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, they were working with the ideas of Leslie Newbegin. And, you know, at least in my imagination, and I think in lots of others, they, they kind of put these words into the um, public imagination of Jesus embodying and announcing and demonstrating. So in the incarnation you were talking about, he embodied something, he announced or taught something, and he demonstrated something through his deeds of power, like raising the yeah. dead, casting out demons, stilling yeah. storms, etc. And Jesus said this thing that he was doing was all about the kingdom of God. Right. And then that this activity, this ruling and reigning of God created this new people, this Jew plus Gentile people who then remembered, uh, I think it's Newbegin who says that the church then, as this people constituted in Christ, they're the sign and foretaste and instrument of the kingdom. Yeah. Well, again, like that sounds like a seminary class. And I know that's language that excites you too. Mm -hmm. But as a pastor, how do you try to give that imagination to your people? What, yeah. it, like, what it would mean to live like that? Well, I, I just had a conversation with Dean uh, Behrens, our lead pastor at Christ Church Mission. And he told me that a parishioner just, just said to him, I've never been in a church that talks so much about the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, it's, it's in our vision state to be a yeah. people fully alive in God's kingdom. And I do love nice. that language yeah. first and foremost, because it's central to the message of Jesus. You can't understand right. Jesus without dealing with kingdom, you know, repent, yeah. the kingdom right. of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. Yeah. Um, so it sparks my imagination because this is a story, not just about my personal salvation. Mm. <laughs> this is about uh, something yeah. much larger, much grander, the mm. kingdom of God, that the kingdom is the end to which all this is headed. You know, yeah. the That's kingdom of good, this Patrick. world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Yeah. He will reign forever and ever. You know, you said, how do you help connect these dots for, for your people? Well, we're, we're in a series in Daniel right now. I just dared to preach this. And I told people right up front, I said, I don't know if I can pull this off. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> And it make much sense, but I'm going to give it a shot. So I, I was preaching on Daniel 5, the story of Belshazzar yeah, and the writing on the wall. And as I yes. learned, as I started doing some study on that passage, I noticed that a couple of commentators brought out a connection between that story and Luke 1120. 
Oh. Which I thought, huh. Which says, Jesus says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the oh, kingdom yeah. of God has come upon you. Yes. And they pointed out that finger of God is, you know, it's directly lifted from Exodus 8. Yeah. But that early Jewish readers of Luke's gospel would have probably also been reminded of this story in Daniel yeah. 5. Mm-hmm. Because like when you visualize it in your mind, this handwriting yeah. on the wall, what do you see? Right. You see a finger. Yeah. Um, God's finger. Yeah. And they would have connected it thematically. You know, you've got one king and his kingdom is being eminently overthrown by yeah. a stronger king and kingdom. So when Jesus cast out a demon, in essence, it was the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. That a new king and his kingdom is coming. And, yeah. and overthrowing this present king and his kingdom of this world. You know, from there, I thought, well, wait a minute. Jesus tells us to go and do the same thing, mm-hmm. to go and cast out demons and, and yeah. heal, heal the sick. The sick and, right. and when we do, we're the handwriting on the wall. When, mm-hmm. you know, empowered by the Spirit, we live by the values, authority of Jesus's kingdom, casting out evil, uh, walking in the law of love and forgiveness, healing the broken, feeding the hungry, proclaiming good news to the poor. We're the handwriting on the wall and people will take notice. And some people, I think, to be sure, as it was with Jesus, they will just scoff. They'll be opposed. Yeah. But I think some will be curiously attracted yeah but in all likelihood they're not going to get it they'll Hmm. see it but they're not going to be able to interpret the writing what does it say what does it mean and we're the ones who need to be prepared in essence to be their translators Mm. yeah to let them know that the ruler of this world and his kingdom's days are numbered he's been weighed and found wanting like belshazzar Uh, It's such a classic. Yeah. Yeah. His kingdom is being overthrown by a greater king. Yeah. And these are just glimpses of what is someday coming in all of its fullness. Yeah. So we, we, we preach about that. I preached about that two weeks ago. It's a, it's a theme that we come back to over and over and over and over again. That's really exciting to me to uh, picture you and your team teaching like that. And it makes me think, I think it's the final chapter in Dallas Willard's book, Knowing Christ Today, where there's a chapter on um, pastors as teachers to the nation. Dallas spoke at my ordination uh, to the priesthood. Yeah, I remember. His talk was essentially, I didn't know it at the time, was essentially what that chapter was going to become. And what Dallas had in mind, Patrick, is exactly what you're saying, is that pastors you know, we're not engineers, we're not brain surgeons, we're not lawyers, uh, we're not biologists. There were a lot of things that we don't have expertise in. But the one thing that we are called to do is, as you said, be interpreters or translators of when the church is a sign when somebody maybe is delivered from drug addiction or a foretaste when we pray for somebody and they're healed. Or as you said earlier, when, when we're an instrument of justice and peace and deliverance, um, like you said, that can get people's attention, but, but still all of us who are clergy need to be able to teach and explain and interpret these things. 
Yeah, because even if people do see it and are attracted to it, they're, they're, they're not going to necessarily know exactly what it means. Right. That's so great, Patrick. Thank you for helping us think about Advent and mission. But before we go, I want to ask you a couple lighter questions just for fun. Okay. So you, you can just sort of riff on these. So you, uh, you've been leading a, an Anglican church now for what, about 15 years? 16? I lose I've track. been here 22 years, and okay. I've been a senior pastor since 2007. Oh, wow. So good long time. So you've, you've led the church through many rounds of Advent. Um, give us what for you is one of your most moving moments uh, in an Advent season. Something happened at the church that was really moving to you. Uh, what is most moving for me about Advent is lessons and carols. We do oh, a yeah. service of lessons and carols mm-hmm. every every. We it varies depending on how it falls in the calendar, either the third or fourth uh, Sunday of Advent. And uh, many people at the church consider it their favorite service of the year. And I think it it just speaks to people viscerally. Yeah. And I think that's because the need for beauty for simplicity and innocence mm, yeah which are i think things that really characterize that service mm-hmm. the need for that now just as great as it's ever been you know in our world of division and tension right escalating conflict mm. uh, and, and if anybody's never read the history of lessons and carols and how it came about and uh eric milner white who pioneered uh that at King's College, Cambridge. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I would encourage. How long ago? Like what? Uh, it like was hundreds uh, of years so, ago? Or? So there was a bishop, and I can't remember his name, but he he kind of came up with the order of service in the in okay. late 1800s. Okay. And then, uh, Milner White was a chaplain in the uh, World War One. Okay. And then he came back and was uh, the chaplain at uh, King's College. Mm-hmm. And he he took this bishop's order of service and kind of developed it further and led the first lessons and carols. He really had in mind, how do we do something that's appropriate for all these soldiers who have come mm. back? Fascinating. And maybe their bodies are still alive, but their souls are kind of dead. That's so cool, Patrick, because that's the kind of thing we could think of, somebody could think of as sort of a dead tradition or dead religion, but it actually grew out of somebody's heart wanting to minister to desperately broken people. That's so cool. And there's some letters that he wrote from the front lines, being in the Mm. trenches with soldiers that are really powerful about just the horrors of it and having to come back and serve as a chaplain at King's College and all the pomp and circumstance yes, yeah, just didn't make sense to him. Right. Oh, that's that's uh, really beautiful. And of course, the atrocities of World War One are unspeakable, and you know nothing could ever compare to it. But I, but I, as you're talking, I was just picturing a congregation of people who are maybe desperately worried about things in Ukraine and are mm-hmm. hearing talk of nuclear war and people who are desperately nervous about the United States and hearing talk about civil war and recession and inflation. And, you know, is the pandemic going to come back this fall? And that's just a really beautiful picture. I think of here's just a beautiful structure and which in which we can help people ground themselves in confident faith mm-hmm. in this Advent story. That's that for me is a really cool picture. Yeah. yeah. So that's, to me, every year, that's the most moving part of Advent is the lessons and carols service yeah. that we do. And 
even during the pandemic when we couldn't meet, we did it online and it was <laughs> cool. Well, Patrick, thank you. You're a cherished friend and, uh, and for me has, have always been kind of a model Anglican rector. So thanks for helping us think about these things today. Yeah, thank you. It's been great being, being with you.